Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This Sunday we celebrate the ascension of our Lord because, of course, on Thursday, which would have been 40 days after the resurrection of Christ, we know that our Lord appeared to His disciples for 40 days. And now, of course, we are going to look at this text, transitioning us, preparing us for what would take place 10 days later, which would be Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit now comes in accordance with the promises that Jesus made to His disciples. Our text for this day, which is also Mother's Day, is taken from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He showed Himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while He was eating with them, He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when they met together, they asked Him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is our text. Departures are not easy. Just ask a mother standing at the door of the kindergarten on that first day of school. Just ask a mother standing at the car door as their kid heads off to college for the first time. Just ask a mother who stands at the door of the church as she gets ready to see her child get married and establish a family of his or her own. In this text, Jesus is also departing. And it was something that was difficult to do, especially, of course, for his disciples. He was standing at the door of heaven, and they were being left behind. I suppose they were understanding a little bit of what it is that mothers have to understand when they say goodbye to their kids. Well, they have to go to school, they have to learn, they have to grow, they need more education, they need more training, they have to have a home someday for their family. 
They need to go out on their own. The disciples were also going to have to go out on their own. They were going to do some amazing things. Jesus told them that they would even do greater things than what he had done. Within a matter of just a few days, they went from being cowering people behind the doors, afraid of the Jews, to being individuals who stood up before the world and were proclaiming the great, amazing mystery of what John spoke about in his gospel, that the very Son of God, the Word of God, had become flesh and that he had been full of grace and truth. That is, that we could know the very mind and heart of the Father, and we could also live our lives under his grace and his mercy. The disciples were going to do this, and it was going to be the greatest revolution in all of human history. But departure always brings with it certain anxieties. A mother worries about whether or not the story of her life, the story she has had with her children, is going to be preserved. I had a member of my congregation out in Connecticut. Her house had burned down, and I asked her, I said, of all the things that you have in your house, what is it that you miss the most? And she said, the pictures. Her entire Life had been erased. The disciples were also going to be concerned that the life of Jesus, that his teachings, that his doctrines, that this great story of Jesus was not going to be preserved. And what did Jesus do? What Jesus did was he gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit and he wrote Luke wrote this gospel to a man by the name of Theophilus. Now Theophilus, whether or not he had been a person that had been known in history, I wrote my master's thesis actually on this subject. I think he was the son of Annas, the high priest of Jerusalem. He actually was probably the rich young man that is spoken about in the scriptures that had been offered an apostolic commission. And here this individual became high priest in year 37 all the way up until the year 41. And what did they do back in those days when you had something like this addressed to you? It meant that if you accepted it, you both had to verify the historical accuracy and you bore the cost of publication. Now the legacy of our Lord and Savior by means of the Holy Spirit is now made it possible for us to be able to know and understand the whole story of Jesus. A mother worries that her children are going to face a hard and a very cruel world that they will suffer and they will need some help. The disciples had also worried, but it was mainly about, at that time, Jesus' suffering. Remember, Jesus said, I have to go up to Jerusalem. I'll be delivered over into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. I'll be crucified, put to death. Peter, no, no, Lord, not you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. This is the pathway that has to be. Yeah, what would the future, they would think, what would it hold for them? And what does it hold for us as Christians? He 
is a person who comes into this world and bears his cross, but he also says to you and to me, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Whoever sakes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So Jesus gave them many convincing proofs over a period of 40 long days to prove what? That death is not our master. That sin is, has been atoned for. That we have the right to share with him in the same gift of everlasting life. And no matter what the cross might be that comes with that, what do we know? That there's always a victory on the other side of that cross. Mothers worry that their children will not understand the most important things of life, right? That they will be deceived by destructive things. The Proverbs are full of that kind of motherly wisdom. Folly delights a man who lacks judgment, the Proverbs say, but a man of understanding keeps a straight course. Proverbs say, a golden ring in a pig's snout is like a beautiful woman without discretion. What kind of wisdom was it that Jesus needed to impart to his disciples? Who would God be choosing? Now, Paul writes, he says, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is weak and despised in the world, even the things that are not, in order to make foolish the things that are, so that no human being can be justified in his sight. The mysteries of the kingdom of God. What's the most important thing in the world? To be a sinful person. To be a sinful person who understands the incredible treasure of God's rich free grace and favor. To not be deceived by worldly wealth, worldly human reason, but to be people that can see what is genuine, what is true, what is right, and what is praiseworthy. So Jesus has to teach them about his kingdom, it says. The kingdom of God comes not with human observation, he says. You can't say low here or low there. The kingdom of God is among you. It's like the wind. It comes. And you only hear its sound. But you can't tell where it's going or where it's, where it's coming from. So it is of everyone who is born of the Spirit. The kingdom of God consists in those lowly, humble things that God gives to us. Water with His Word. Bread and wine with the word that becomes body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. It takes wisdom to understand the foolishness of God. And Jesus imparts that upside-down wisdom to his disciples. Mothers worry that their children will be given not too much of a challenge, 
but hopefully they'll worry that they will not be challenged enough. The disciples certainly could count their numbers. One, two, three, four, twelve. The disciples, no doubt, knew exactly what their finances were. Some contributions for people who came. Maybe we could send some missionaries out to Samaria. Maybe to Galilee. Maybe a few to maybe some Jewish settlement that might be up in, in Tarsus or someplace like that. They understood the limitations that they had. And so our Lord tells them instead. He says, go out into the world. Go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Can we maybe understand why it is that they may have been standing there looking up in the sky? What in the world did he just tell us to do? The challenge was absolutely impossible. The goal was far greater than their resources or their abilities. But then that's the point, isn't it? That when the impossible becomes only possible when God is the one who is making the difference then all the glory belongs to God and not to us. That is the point, isn't it? We can do nothing. Paul says, when we were weak, us the nace, when we had nothing of our own in righteousness, God sent his Son into our flesh in order that he might bring about our salvation. And what seemed so incredible to these disciples, now with the Holy Spirit, did seem credible that as Jesus was leaving them, he was leaving them to be with them in a way which was far greater than the way in which he had been with them while he walked upon the earth. When that Holy Spirit came upon those disciples, they stood up before the world and proclaimed what, is, what we know, that this is the Son of God that he is the second person of the Trinity come into the flesh and that his flesh became the atoning sacrifice for our sins and that his death became our death and that when he was raised from the dead that we also in him were also raised from the dead. That's what Paul said about baptism. Did you not know that when you were baptized into Christ you were baptized into his death? That whereas Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And when that message went out into the world, the incredible power of the Holy Spirit is what it is that created the most incredible body of saints that the world has ever seen. So our Lord stood at the door. And now I'm standing at the door, preparing to say goodbye, at least as a pastor of this congregation. You are going to remember, I'm certain, maybe there will at least be one picture of me on the wall. You're going to grow strong, but you're going to grow strong only through your suffering and your sacrifice. You're going to understand the mystery of God's kingdom. And if you do, you're going to discover that you too are going to be made up of people who are sinners like you and me. 
You are going to be wise and you're going to be patient as you wait for God's timing and the way in which God wants the church to grow. And you're going to know and understand an impossible task that lies before you. It's an impossible task that now belongs to you. Go to the ends of the earth. May God grant you his grace and his favor as we stand at the door. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.